All right. Morning, everybody. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Father's Day to the dads out there. Cheers, mates. Um, somebody like that. There's one person thought that was funny. Thank you. Um, and then uh, uh, I also just want to say, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, hopefully we get a chance to do that today. Um, as we kind of wrap up June and get ready for summer, as you just heard right now, next week, Church in the Park, where we gather outside, we're, we're in this sort of moment of transition from the academic year into our summer rhythm, and this is uh, an exciting time to be together as a community. So good to see you all. Thanks for being here for our gathering this morning. I want to invite you to meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. And as you're looking that up, one other thing I, I just want to talk about here for a moment before we get fully into our teaching time is a, a dream that we have had now for a couple of years is uh, to be a church that really invests in and raises up the next generation of leadership for the church. And that looks like a lot of different things. That, that looks like what we do with our kids and Discovery Kids. That looks like what happens with our youth program um, during the week. But it also... Uh, part of that has been this desire to have an internship program that, that is very intensive, that's immersive, that's relational, that's formational. And again, that helps set up young people really well to lead in the church, whether they go on to be staff, whether they go on uh, to be a missionary somewhere around the world, or if they're, they're just a, a part of a local church leading as a small group leader or an elder or whatever the, the role or capacity may be. Part of our hope here is that, that as students, as young people come to Davis, they get a taste uh, of what the local church can be. And, and what it could look like in the future, and that they leave here with a vision for how their life matters for the kingdom of God and for building the future of the church. And so <clears throat> this fall, we're launching uh, what we're calling sort of our, our internship program 2.0. We've done some prototypes of this over the last couple of years, but this fall is really kind of our first big swing at this. And I think um, there's a picture of our interns. We're calling the program The Nexus. And uh, that's Joshua, Pamela, and Ross, two of them you just saw up here leading worship on the stage. They begin officially on September 1. And yeah, we can clap for them. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to highlight this today for a couple of reasons. One is, is September 1 is not that far away. I don't know about you, but like we're, all, like we're almost through June and summer stuff is happening. And I don't know what happened, but the end of the year or the end of the school year really came fast for me. <laughs> so I wanted you guys to, we've been talking about this a little bit, but I wanted you to sort of meet them and have a visual and, and, and just an invitation to be praying for them this summer. The, the next couple of months, you know, they're, they've just wrapped up school and graduated. Uh, uh, but what a great moment for us as a church to kind of come around them and to pray for them that this summer would not just be waiting or counting down the days, but really would be preparation for what lies ahead. And that God would start working in them, again, getting them ready for what they're about to step into this fall. So my invitation to you guys is simply to do that, to be praying for them. If you'd like to know more about the program, what they'll be doing, you can always come and ask me. You can ask them what they are excited about and what they're looking forward to. And then the other part of this, too, is we are trying to uh, support this program purely by outside fundraising. But we did want to give you guys, our church family, an opportunity 
um, to participate in that too. And so if you feel so led, you can give now to the program. When you click on our Give button on our webpage or app, it'll take you uh, to our giving site where you can click on the internship fund. And if you want to contribute to that, that's also a great way to partner with them. But the, the main invitation for us, for us, is to be praying for them this summer and then to rally around and cheer them on as they, as they take this on. It's a pretty big deal, I think, to give up basically a year to be here, uh, to serve and to learn and to be formed um, for leadership. So let's take a moment and pray for them. And then we will get into our, uh, our time in Scripture here. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do uh, come before you this morning with great gratitude for... Uh, not just the, these three interns, but really all the people that you have brought to Discovery uh, during their time in Davis who have helped shape and form our church family. And God, as we now begin this new adventure, this more uh, sort of formal, intensive program, would you use it? Would you bless it? Would you, uh, uh, um, may it be a strategic part of building the future of the church? Not just Discovery, but of the church. As we invest in people and send them out around our area here, our state, our country, even the world, God, may you use people who are formed here in this place to build your church and to point people to the reality of your kingdom. We pray specifically over Pamela and Joshua and Ross that over the next weeks and months you would be preparing them for the opportunity that lies ahead. Now, when September 1 comes, they would be ready to go, excited about what is going to happen, and that you would show up for them in this experience in all kinds of ways. May we as their, their church rally around them and, and cheer them on and be an encouragement to them as they move through this experience. Father, now as we turn our attention to Scripture, would you soften our hearts, open our ears, would you speak to us today, help us to be open and receptive to what it is that you want to say to us right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we are in Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue this conversation called Exiles. We're going to begin in verse 14 and read all the way through 21. I'm just going to read right through it. This is one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. It's so good. It's almost like we should just read it and then maybe go sit under a tree for a couple of hours and just think about it. But I am going to say some things about it. So hang in there with me. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, where we read this. For this reason, I kneel. Again, this is Paul, the author of this letter, writing to his friends. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, work, is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. I like that Paul says amen. All right. A quote that I have used a few times, but it's just so good. I want to bring it up again. It's from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, great quote. Love that quote. I want to, I want to uh, sort of change it a little bit for our purposes this morning. I want us to think about it this way. What we feel what we feel when we imagine God is the most important thing about us. I think it gets to the same truth, but I want to change the wording a little bit as we step into this passage here in Ephesians. What we feel when we imagine God is the most important thing about us. Now, maybe that sounds blasphemous to you, but there is all sorts of evidence out there, scientific, anecdotal, and even theological, that we are motivated and transformed, not purely on an intellectual level, but at a gut emotional level. The, the Greek word for this truth, which is actually comes from the Old Testament Hebrew, but as people were translating the Old Testament into Greek, they, they used this word, splanknon. Everybody say splanknon. Good. This word, it, it means guts. It, it actually means bowels. And, and then the way that it gets translated a lot is actually affection. So think about that for a minute. Your affections are connected to your bowels. This is a lovely Sunday morning Father's Day thought for you. Here, here's an example of how this same writer, Paul, uses it in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I long for you with all the splanknon of Christ Jesus. There's this recognition going back even thousands of years, that our deepest motivations, where we are most formed and transformed, is actually at this, at this sort of gut level. James Smith uh, says it this way, we are what we love. By the way, this is a fantastic book if you're looking for a summer read. We are what we love. We are shaped by our loves, by our affections, at this deep gut level. Now our loves, our affections, they can be ordered and they can be disordered. All right, I'm about to turn 42. I'm going to be 42 on Tuesday. Feel free to send gifts to my house. I'm about to turn 42 and I know, like I know intellectually that I'm getting into the stage of life where I really need to pay attention to some things, right? What I eat, how much I exercise, taking care of this, this body that I've been given. I know this. My doctors talk to me about it. My wife is a physical therapist. I've read articles. Like, that information is there in my brain. But at this deeper gut level, I just really like to sit on the couch and watch basketball and eat ice cream. Right? So there is, this, there, there is this reality where, like, that truth, it still needs to sink down into my guts. We are formed and shaped at these deep levels. What we feel when we imagine God is the most important thing about us. We may have read some great books. We may have sat under excellent teaching. We may have gleaned wonderful theological insights, but we have an emotional reaction to God that is disordered. We have not yet internalized the amazing good news that we saw last week earlier in chapter 3. That we can approach God with freedom and confidence. 
Now, there's all kinds of good reasons for this. We, we may have ambivalence towards God because our fathers were absent or, or distant, which I understand makes a day like today complicated for some of us, right? Father's Day. We, we may not see God as kind or nurturing because a mom or a grandparent or a caretaker was harsh towards us. We, we may feel anxious or insecure about God because the church culture that we participated in was hierarchical or authoritarian. There are all sorts of reasons, as many reasons as there are people. But the good news is, the good news is our loves, our affections can be reordered. And this is the driving message. This is the thing that Paul wants us to to see and to hear and to experience in these first three chapters in Ephesians. He's just been repeating this, why it matters. All of that leading to and culminating in this passage that we just read now. The wide and long and high and deep love of God. Now, as we were reading through that passage, you may have noticed, or at least the, the sense that I get when I read that is that Paul, he's been building up towards this and he's so excited to talk about God's love and yet he's struggling with, like, how do I communicate this? Right, right? How can I, what words can I use to help people understand just how much God loves them? How can I messagetize, if you will, the profound experience of being loved by God, the creator of everyone and everything? How do you put to words something that is beyond words? Just a couple of, we don't have time to go through every single thing that he says here, but a couple of the things that he says is so interesting, right? The glorious riches of God's grace. If you've been with us for this conversation, you, you, you will know that he said this before, many times actually. It's one of the things he repeats over and over again in the first three chapters. The glorious riches of God's grace. God is not stingy with us. He's extravagant with us. Right, going way overboard, way over the top. The glorious riches of God's grace. Another word that shows up a lot here in this section is power. Which is interesting because I think sometimes we have this idea that power and love are are totally different things. But Paul wants us to see that God's power flows from his love. And because of this love, we have access to God's power. Do you see how those go together? The power and love that that fuels the Trinity. Right? The three in oneness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, this perfect community of self-giving, sacrificial love. That same power is in us. The power and love that created and sustains all things. The power and love that through Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, redeems and restores and reconciles and saves us. That same power and love is at work in us. Us, once again, being the operative word, right? This is one of the things we've continued to see. This is not just about me. This is about us, what God is doing in us. Paul doesn't just want individuals to know. He certainly does, right, want individuals to know how much they are loved. But he wants this church collectively, communally to know how much we are loved. Then my favorite phrase, I read it two times as we were reading through the passage, filled to the measure of the fullness. This is, again, one of those things where it's like, what do you say? Filled to the fullness. Right, filled to the fullness of God, struggling to name the unnameable. 
But this, this truth that with God, there's no half measures. There's no holding back. This love, this grace, the glorious riches, way over the top. And then finally, to know more than we can imagine. I want to sit here with this one for a moment. Know more than we can imagine. This comes back to where we started, right? Knowing is not just about information that we have stored in the files in our brains. What Paul is talking about here is this experiential, gut-level, splank-non-knowing. One of the most famous movie scenes of, of my lifetime, which is now becoming longer and longer, <laughs> right, as I confessed to you earlier, uh, it comes from the movie Goodwill Hunting. Anybody seen Goodwill Hunting? A few of us will remember this movie. So uh, hopefully I don't spoil too many things, but there's this amazing scene at the end of the movie where the two, main, two of the main characters, one of them played by Robin Williams, the other by Matt Damon, have a moment, right? And, and the, the idea of the story is that uh, Matt Damon is this young guy. He's he's really, really smart dude. Um, lives in Boston, which is very close to where we lived. We lived in Boston. And he's had this rough life, and he gets in trouble with the law. And they, they, they say, as part of his, like, community service or whatever, he has to go to counseling. So he starts meeting with all these different counselors. And he kind of blows all of them off. And then finally he meets with Robin Williams, whose name is Sean. And they begin to connect. And, it, and finally it kind of sticks. And their relationship culminates in this moment at the end of the movie. Where Sean says to Will, you know, some of the things that you have experienced. The abuse, the trauma. I, I experienced that too. I grew up in the same neighborhood. I know exactly what you've been through. And then Sean, Robin Williams, starts saying this thing over and over again, right? He starts saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And as you watch that scene, what you are watching is a person go through the experience of information moving from his head to his guts. Right? As Sean repeats this over and over again, you see Will start to break down. And then, like, he really loses it, right, when Sean gives him this big hug. And it's like ugly cry, snot cry. His affections are being reordered in real time. That truth is moving from his head to his heart to his guts. This is what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. This truth that you are deeply, deeply loved by God. It needs to move from just some information and some files in our brain down into our guts. It's good to, it's good to learn things, right? It's good to have uh, information, but there's this invitation here to experience, to know this relational truth. In this gut-level way, just how much we are loved. This is one of the, the many reasons why we emphasize the, the practices or the spiritual disciplines here at Discovery. Solitude, prayer, Sabbath, fasting, confession, outreach, 
reading and encouragement and, and many others, all of these have been utilized by Jesus' followers for thousands of years because they are this proven means through which we grow in this experiential, relational knowing, this gut-level knowing of God's deep and high and long and wide love. I love this quote from Rich Velotis. He says, no spiritual discipline can make God love you. And then I love this part of it. It's too late for that. It's too late for that. God already loves you, but spiritual disciplines help us to live in God's love and to offer it to others. To live in that love as that knowledge moves, again, from our heads to our hearts. Now part of this, part of this knowing, this gut level knowing is also understanding how we best connect with God. Uh, last week our family went to the beach. And, and for me growing up on the coast of California, the beach was always a place that, that for me, when I, I love to go there because that's where I really connect with God. And, and for a long period of my life, that was about solitude, that was about going and, you know, finding a spot all by myself and maybe reading a book or journaling or whatever, just kind of spending this intense alone time talking to God, trying to sort kinds of people who were there. And, and it was, um, you know, loud and noisy and it was not about like solitude and me and God. And yet, it was one of the most wonderful days of the last six months. I just sat there for like five hours, got really sunburnt, Watching my kids play in the ocean, watching pelicans hunt fish, having some chats with my wife, and connecting with the truth of how much God loves me, right? If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. What is that place for you? What does that look like? Where do you go? What do you do? Is there a practice? Is there a spot? Is it your backyard? Is it a certain time of the day? You know, are you a reader or do you need to listen to music? Do you have to do some art and get your, your hands moving and creating something? Is it running or some physical activity? One of my favorite quotes, Eric Liddell, the, the great sprinter of the early 20th century says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. What are the things that you do to connect with God in this way to be reminded of how much you are loved. Order your life around those things. Right? Build those things into your routines and your rhythms so that you are continually reminded of how much you are loved. Now, to get specific for a moment here, there is one very clearly named practice in the text today, and that is the practice of prayer. We, we define prayer here as our ongoing conversation with God. Paul says, I kneel, I pray, I pray. So this, this, as he comes to the end of this first half of the letter, this section, really what all it is is a prayer. I kneel, I pray, I pray. Look at what he says here, how he prays. He, he does not pray, God, may this church just not blow it. Right? God, this church in Ephesus, may it be a church that has great theology. Not, I pray this church gives a ton of money to missions. Not, I pray that this church has excellent worship music. 
These are all great things, and they may have been desires of Paul for that church, but his prayer for them is what? That they be rooted in love. That they be rooted in love, and then from that love, give to missions, have great worship music, talk about theology, all of these wonderful things. But the, the foundation of all of it is, I pray, I kneel, I pray that they may know this love. That it may not just be information, but it may be this truth that gets down into their guts and changes everything for them. This raises the question for us, how do we pray for each other? How do we pray for each other? What do we pray for each other? This has been very convicting for me because I pray a lot of things for you guys. I pray a lot of things for our church. But it's usually like uh, we, have a, we have a task or we have a vision or we have a dream or we have something going on and I'm praying about those things. But when Paul prays for the church, he prays that they would know how much they are loved. And so this has changed how I pray for discovery. That you would know this truth that changes everything. How do we pray for each other? Edward Farrell was a, a priest. He was actually born in Ireland and then his family immigrated to the United States, became a priest here. And as, uh, as you know, he goes through life over time, his older relatives begin to, to pass away. And so there's this moment in his early 60s where he has only one kind of older generation living relative who still lived in Ireland. And his name was Uncle Seamus because, of course, that was his name, right? So Uncle Seamus is about to turn 80 years old, and Edward thinks, I need to go and be there for that. I'm his only real living relative. Uh, and so he gets on a plane, he flies to Ireland, and he spends some time with Uncle Seamus. When the day of his actual birthday came, so this is the big day, right, 80th birthday, they get up early in the morning before the sun even rises, have a very quiet breakfast, cup of coffee, in his very humble home. And then they go for a walk on the shore of the Killarney Lakes. And as they're walking, they pause for a moment to let the sunrise or watch the sunrise. And in the middle of this moment, Uncle Seamus gets this big grin on his face, and then he starts skipping down the beach. I don't know if this is skipping, but this is my best shot, okay? 42. He's skipping down the beach. And he's just beaming and smiling. And Edward is like, what got into Uncle Seamus? And so he says, he says, Uncle Seamus says, I am, lad, I am. And so Edward asks him, well, do you want to tell me why? And so here's this 80-year-old man, right? All of his generation of relatives has died out. Living relatively alone in Ireland. Hanging out on the beach with his nephew. And he says, very much. You see, me Abba loves me very much. Me Abba loves me very much. He is very fond of me. I love that. Me Abba is very fond of me. This is my prayer for discovery. This is my prayer for you. That you would know in your splanknot that your Abba is very fond of you. That you would know 
how high and wide and long and deep is God's love. Now as we get ready for communion, I'll invite the band to come back and they can get ready to lead us in our closing songs. Today as we take communion together, there's four stations around the theater. And when you're ready, you can come to any one of those four and just take one of those cups. It's all there for you. Just grab that and bring it back to your seat. But I want you to think uh, through a couple of things. If you're more of a practical thinker, what are those rhythms and structures that help you get in touch with God's love? Do you need to uh, revisit one of them or put some space into your life so that you can do those things more often? But I also want us to just sit for a minute with this truth. Right? As you take those elements, the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for you. As you take the cup, representing his blood poured out for you. Maybe remember the truth. In 1 John 4, the writer says that, that we know love, not because we loved God first, but that he loved us first. And sent his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as you sit with those elements that remind us of that truth, I just want you to say to yourself as you take this meal today, me Abba loves me very much. Me Abba loves me very much. Again, the words of Ephesians 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Your Abba is very fond of you.